You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. All right. Morning, Real Life. How's it going? Glad you're here with us on this fine Thanksgiving weekend, and we have a special treat today. Um, we pulled the big guns out of retirement for the day's sermon. <clears throat> We figured if you guys are willing to show up on Thanksgiving weekend, you deserve something special. <laughs> so, what's that? Yeah. You can leave. <laughs> I'm secure in my relationship with God. Shut up. <laughs> so, we're going to talk about the, speaking of blessing, we're going to talk about the blessing today. And this is a sermon <laughs> that my dad and I have done a few times over the years. Uh, it's something that means a lot to me. It's one of my favorite sermons that we do. I get to do it with my dad. But um, this is um, literally one that if we can get this mastered as a community, we can change the spiritual climate of our area. No joke. Uh, and Jesus says we can do it. And I'll show you that in just a bit. From a Jewish perspective, the blessing is an active agent. What that means is they believe that the words of a blessing live. Incidentally enough, they also believe that the words of a curse lives. Like words have a life. And you know if you, like the, the words that your parents speak into your life intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, they mark us. You know that. And so uh, this is one of those things where we take an opportunity to... Um, really take a look at what does it mean to be a blessing, what does it mean to speak blessing, and uh, how do we actually practically do that. And so we're going to jump into this in Genesis chapter 27. It's in your notes. I'm not going to read it because for sake of time, we ran over a little bit last service, but I do want to tell you the story. If you'll remember, Jacob and Esau are twins. Esau's the older one, and he should be getting the blessing, but God had prophesied when they, before they were born that the older would serve the younger. Um, Jacob puts on goat's hair, on his arms and hands, goat's hair, and goes to his dad, and his dad touches his hands and says, oh, it's Esau. Goat's hair. Like, that's not human arm hair. That's not thick, bushy human arm hair. Goat's hair. Like, that's a lot. And so um, Jacob comes in. He puts on Esau's clothes and he goes in to steal the blessing. Now, why does this blessing mean so much? Because in our culture, what would happen is uh, if he spoke the blessing over the wrong person, the right person would come in and be like, oh, shoot, that wasn't for you, it was for you. So I'm going to speak the blessing over you. In their culture, the words live. Like when we speak a blessing, we obligate God to it. We unleash the power of God in their life. And so when Esau comes in at the end of the story and he's like, man, what happened? Um, don't you have any blessing for me? Isaac says, I, I spoke the blessing. Like, it's gone. The, the words have taken life. Like, the blessing matters. And I would say that for us, we would, we would both agree with like 99.9999999% of all people that come into our offices for counseling. The central issue around all problems that we face is whether or not we believe we had our parents' blessing. It'll help us understand how we navigate problems, trauma, hard times in our life. It'll also um, it'll help us know when to hang in and stay married. Um, it'll help us 
I mean, it helps us with, to endure life well, with grace and with dignity, to move forward, to get good things in our life. It also allows us the fear to fold when we don't get it. And so it's powerful. So uh, Jacob goes in. Uh, Isaac says, your hands feel like Esau, but your voice sounds like Jacob, which raises all kinds of questions, right, about like, what does Isaac actually know about what's going on here? But that's another sermon for another day. So they, they, he comes in and he gives him this awesome blessing. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field. It's not, it's not the blessing that I would want. Um, but he says, may, uh, may God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May the, may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and may those who bless you be blessed. This is Jacob's blessing and it all plays out in his life. Now, Jesus in Luke chapter 10, if you, if you step back and look at Luke as a gospel, as the whole kind of letter, the first half of the book of Luke is really what I would define as a spiritually hostile climate. And in Luke chapter 10, at the end, Jesus sends out his guys and he gives them a specific assignment. And when they come back, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Like the spiritual climate had changed. The back half of the gospel of Luke is what I would define as a spiritually favorable climate. All of a sudden, there's more, um, in the first half of the gospel of Luke, you see demons with almost a swagger, like a mocking nature to them. In the back half, we don't see this anymore. Lots more miracles, lots more God moments. All this happens in the back half of Luke. The pivot point is Luke chapter 10. Here's what happened. Jesus sends his guys out and he says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. Now, by the way, this word that's translated peace, it's not a wrong translation because it can be translated peace, but a better translation would be blessing. Speak a blessing on the house. If a person of blessing lives there, then your blessing will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Now think about this. If you had the potential for your own blessing to come back on you, what kind of a blessing would you speak? Right? Like may you be buried in million-dollar bills. Oh, you don't want that blessing? Very good. I receive, receive my own blessing. Like, what kind of a blessing would you speak? But what happened was because they went out and became people of blessing, not people of truth, people of blessing, because they became people of blessing, it changed the spiritual climate. Like, truth is important. I'm not trying to knock truth, but truth doesn't change anything. Blessing changes everything. If we want to change the palouse, it starts with you and I becoming people of blessing. That's the key. And so there's five parts to the blessing. And, and I want to point these out. Now, I want to preface this whole thing by saying this. We're going to invite you to be a blessing. It, not every blessing has to be the formal full five step or it doesn't count. Like this isn't an incantation to incite God's work in your life. All five of these are individually important, but put together, they can become truly transformational. So the first one is meaningful touch. 
And you know the power of touch in your life. Every touch that you give someone is meaning. Every touch that you've received has meaning, both positive and negative. You know that. Like you experience touch, both good and bad. It's powerful. It has meaning. Touch is powerful. There's an interesting story in Luke chapter 4. Now, three of the four Gospels record this story. Jesus has been teaching all day. He's tired. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he's ready for dinner. And it says, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one. You probably should underline that. He healed them. Now, why do I think that's so significant? Here's why. Because we know, number one, Jesus is tired. Number two, Jesus is hungry. Those two factors are an automatic equation for me to do no more ministry. <laughs> if I'm tired and hungry, don't, don't expect me to have empathy for you. I don't. I, I'm sorry you're in a bad way. I'm tired and hungry. Like, that's where I come from a lot of times. Jesus, we also know, didn't even have to be in the same town to heal somebody. We know that he healed one guy's child from over 20 miles away. This crowd of sick people that came to him, he could have gone, I'm tired and I'm hungry. I've been teaching all day. I'm emotionally drained. No more sickness. Like he could have done that. Like the Jedi. (laughs) No more sickness. He could have, but he didn't. What he did was he took the time to put his hands on each one and heal them. Why? Because the sickness isn't what matters. It's the person that matters. And Jesus, now Luke, the doctor, he's the only one of the three gospels that record this that points it out. Because I believe that Luke, as a doctor, notices what actually brings healing to somebody. Touch is powerful, and you need to use it well in your family, okay? So the second part is to tell them how special they are. Dad's going to talk about that. I am such a blessed man. I get to preach with my son. Isn't that wonderful? It's taken me a, <laughs> it's taken me a long time and a lot of twisting of arms for him to let me come up here and preach again, but, you know, here we are, so... I, I feel blessed every time that I listen to Aaron preach and Kelly sing, that God has blessed our family. Uh, uh, gosh, I, I'm, I'm gonna waste all my time just reminiscing here. We're so blessed to have all three of our kids involved in ministry. And I can tell you that that wasn't because of what their mom and dad did necessarily. God had a lot to do with that. But I just, I just feel blessed to be sitting here by my son. Now, one of the things that I, that I can imagine when Jacob came to his dad to receive a blessing, he was nervous. Remember, Jacob was a mommy's boy. Jacob had spent a lot of time with his mom. Isaac spent a lot of time with this rough and, and tough other son who was his twin. But at the end of their life, came a time when they had observed their kids for a lifetime. And being a grandfather, as I watch my grandkids, I can tell you from a surety that I can predict what's gonna happen to some of my grandkids. All good things. Because I watch them and I observe. I'm a good student of human behavior. But 
they were looking, Jacob had to be nervous because he was looking for words to, to reaffirm his self-worth. Now folks, I want to share this with you. I'm starting to meddle here and I know that. In our home is where we really find self-esteem. We take off all of our masks. Uh, we become who we really are in our home and it doesn't matter how many accolades you get at work or wherever. When you come home, if there are not affirmation in words or things, if, uh, if a dad hears his wife and the kid saying, oh gosh, there comes the old grouch again, uh, he's probably not gonna have any self-worth when he gets through. But here's, here's the bottom line. In our home is where we find self-esteem. If you, you encourage your kids with the words, you'll find that they will grow up having self-esteem and being able to smile and not being angry at the world. Now, words mean everything to us. James says in James chapter three, words have the power to direct, they have the power to destroy, they have the power to delight. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good for edifying. So our self-worth comes from our home. And I, I empathize with some of you guys. You grew up in a dysfunctional home, what we call a disorganized attachment style. You grew up in a home where there was lots of yelling and cursing and that kind of thing, and you did not receive a blessing from your home. That doesn't mean that you can't be blessed today. I remember a lady in the restaurant uh, where I was at some time ago. Um, the restaurant was crowded. They had to set up a special table for her and her little girl. The little girl had a milkshake and she set it down in front of her and she just happened to knock the uh, milkshake over and it spilled all over the floor. And this mom jumped up in the middle of this restaurant that was crowded and she said, you always do that to me. Every time I bring you out, you are always embarrassing me. Now moms, listen to me. Whenever you tell your kids, you kids are driving me nuts. They may be, but you don't have to express that in order to make them feel inadequate. Words are everything. What we share with our kids, the words of affirmation, as Aaron said, meaningful touch, when we put our hand on them as my mom used to, she'd say, God bless my son, my preacher boy. Um, I got a lot of strength from that. So we need to tell them how special they are. And then second, thirdly, we need to tell them how much you love them. And Aaron's going to talk about that. There's an interesting passage in Deuteronomy chapter 31, 32 and Joshua chapter one, which is all kind of an extension of the same story. God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, you're not leading the people in the promised land. You're going to hand this off to Joshua. And so here's the message that I want you to give them. And, and this is where it says here, starting in verse six, be strong and courageous. This is the message you need to give Joshua. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord God goes with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. So Moses takes Joshua and says, Joshua, here's the message. Be strong and courageous. Between Deuteronomy 31, 32 and Joshua chapter one, Joshua hears the phrase, be strong and courageous, nine times. Why? It's because he needs to hear it. He needs to hear it. And by the way, the last one is from the people. They're like, look, we'll follow you just like we followed Moses, but what we need from you is to be strong and courageous. He needed to hear that. And listen to me. Your family needs to hear that you love them 
over and 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 say it in corny ways and say it in sentimental ways and say it in goofy ways and say it in ways like when they go, ah, and roll their eyes when your teenagers look at you and go, dad, you're hugging me. Ah, yeah, I just love you. Say it, say it, say it, say it, say it. Why? Because they need to hear it. And I know that for a lot of us, we weren't raised in a world where we heard it. And so it feels hard. It feels awkward. It feels weird. Maybe when we understand what the blessing's really about, what we begin to grapple with is that it's not about how I feel. It's about choosing to be a source of life for the people around me. Yes. And who gets changed? Both of us. Like, am I, am I speaking blessing onto other people? They become changed, but so do I. And that's really important. I, re I remember uh, when my oldest daughter, she was um, with a friend, and something had happened where her friend had told her that her dad had never said that she loved her. And that night I was putting... Carter in bed, and I was like, oh, how do you feel about that? She's like, man, it was really hard to hear that because she was sad. And I said, Carter, do you know that I love you? She goes, Dad, you say it all the time. Parent win. I got a lot of parent fails, but that moment was a parent win, right? It's so important for us to understand how critical. Say it Say it. Say how much you love them. Say it all the time. Say it in stupid ways. Say it when it's really emotionally awkward and you both are like, love you, love you, love you. Like, yeah, say it. Say it. Say it and say it and say it. Your kids have to hear it. So the fourth part is that you got to tell them how God's going to use them and dad's going to talk about that. One of the things that, that is so apparent to me that as Isaac got older, he, he knew his sons, at least Esau, inside and out. I don't think he knew Jacob as well because he hadn't spent as much time with him. But I want to read uh, from chapter 49. When Jacob is ready to die, he calls together his 12 sons and blesses them. Some got pretty amazing blessings. Some got nominal blessings. But all uh, uh, of them, the blessings spoken came true. Uh, not only did God see to that, but I believe that Jacob watched his kids. And when we observe our kids, we can tell what, what's going to happen. Now, they were given a blessing, each according to who they were. I remember um, several years ago when we flew to California to see our kids, and my daughter had asked me to give her three kids the blessing while we were there. I had forgotten. and. So we made our way, we were in the airport getting ready to leave and, and Garrett the oldest said, Papa, you forgot the blessing. So here we are in the airport and people are sitting around watching what's going on. And so I'm, okay. So I put my hand on him and I shared with him, you know, uh, Garrett, I see you trying to be a basketball star. I don't believe you'll ever be a basketball star. 
but you will be a sensitive kid. Now, his mom didn't like that. She said to me, Dad, why'd you tell him that? Because that's going to keep him from trying to be a basketball star. And I said, Pam, he is not going to be a basketball star. But here we are getting, uh, giving all three of these kids a blessing. There was two little old ladies sitting next to me who was crying. I was crying. The kids were crying. We were all crying. I think the whole airport was crying. But, but the bottom line was I wanted to share with them what I believe God is going to use them for so that we could call that to remembrance in time to come. When Aaron was a senior in high school, um, he came to me and said, Dad, I have some offers for to play football. And I remember saying, Aaron, God has a bigger plan for you than that. Little did I know. So tell them what you believe, God, don't make it up, as Aaron said. Don't force it to try to make them feel guilty. Tell them how you believe God is going to use them and then let the Holy Spirit work it out in their life and you have the ability to do that. Yeah, so I want to just piggyback off that for a second. It's really important that when you speak about how you see God using them, that it comes from a place of truth, not from a place of trying to create something in your child that isn't there. If you're like, I want so much for my child to be some kind of leader, but they just aren't, so I'm going to call them a leader. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. And what that's saying to your child is the, what God actually did put in them is not good. It's not okay. Proverbs says, train a child up in the way that they should go and according to their bent. And then when they're old, they won't depart from it. Speak what's true about your child. If they're a leader, call them a leader. If they're a world changer, call them a world changer. If they're a servant, call them a servant. There's nothing wrong with any of it. It's what God made in them. And only by acknowledging the truth, the good part of the truth of that will they ever be okay. The last piece of this is that you need to commit to be there for them. Um, I, you know, I have loved being able to... Uh, do ministry the last 15 years with my dad. Um, and one of the things that I love about doing ministry with my dad is, you know, my dad's like 150,000 years old. Um, I'm not going to tell you who gave him his blessing, but it was right before a global flood. <laughs> He was the fourth unnamed child of, of Noah in the book of Genesis. He thinks that's funny. Ooh, I don't. That's good. That's good stuff. There's pieces I'm, I'm of dirt glad. that look at my dad and go, man, you're old. I'm glad he's getting a life out of this. I'm not. <laughs> what I, well, here's what I know. Like, my dad in his ministry career had a lot of years of being very successful in ministry. A lot of years being very successful in ministry. He's a good Bible preacher. Uh, I remember thinking that multiple times as a kid growing up. Like, my dad's a good preacher. Um, he made a decision to lay all of that stuff aside to come and support his son in the end of his ministry career. What I love about that is that at the age of 63, my dad, who could have gone, like still to this day, my dad could take some small church in some small town in Montana or somewhere and be the, the pope of some town of 100 people and just love on people and they'd all go, oh, Charlie, you know. 
It's what happens here all the time. Like he could still do that and stroke his ego and all that stuff. The legacy that my parents are leaving for my children is that the mission is never over. And so they risked it all. They were like, hey, let's leave a secure ministry job and go start a job with a knucklehead and maybe have to get part-time jobs or full-time jobs to support our ministry habit over on the side. Can Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Like, I love that, that my dad has chosen to be able to hand ministry off to me well. And every step of the way, What's mattered so much about that for me is we hit these new wrinkles where I'm like, I didn't get a, I didn't have a Bible college class for this contingency. There's a lot of those in ministry, by the way. I didn't, I didn't have a class that taught me how to deal with this situation. There's no um, how to fire staff class. There's no how to deal with tough times in the church class. There's no, there, all these situations where it was so nice to just have my dad to be there with me to say, it's gonna be okay. We're gonna get through it. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but we're gonna be together on the other side for the last 15 years. And God willing for the next 15. I mean, might set some kind of age record or something at that point, but like whatever. It's been so comforting for me as the child to be able to have a dad, a mom and dad who are in my corner and I know it. And that's so critical for us as, as when we're sp- talking about families, like the best gift that you can give your children is the security of your presence. Security of your presence. Don't step into a situation and jack everything up. Security in your presence, knowing that you're there to support them all along the way. So here's what we're going to do. My dad and I are going to model for you a full five-step blessing. This is my favorite part of the sermon. And then uh, we'll draw some conclusions with how we might be able to leverage this in our own lives. You know, before we do that, I want to speak to those of you who... uh, who have lacked a blessing in your life. Sometimes I feel guilty because family's everything to me, and I know it means a lot to all of you. But when I have family that we love and spend holidays together and that kind of thing, it's, it's the epitome of what life for me is all about here. And so I, when folks come to me and share some, some of the past experiences that they've had, and we're trying to help them restore a fixable relationship with their own kids, I feel bad, I, I feel sorry for you. I'm just telling you that you can't wallow in sorrow. What you dealt with is generational sin and you can overcome that. The Holy Spirit will give you uh, the ability to overcome that. Now, we want to demonstrate for you if you would like for your kids to have the five-step blessing, we want to demonstrate to you what that looks like. And I've done this several times with Aaron before and I couldn't think of a lot of other new stuff so I had to make some stuff up for him. So. Um, We'll go along with that today. Uh, The first step is that you should be willing to touch your kids. Um, My mom's favorite thing was, God bless my boy. And uh, in our home, uh, um, hugging and touching was was okay. I hope that's that's all right with you. And if that's brand new in in your home, then uh, folks, you you can get over that. You you can make yourself feel uncomfortable and do that. Second part of this is uh, 
um, how special they are. And Aaron, I, I want to remind you again. Your mom and I had a visit yesterday because we rode in the truck. And, and uh, of course, you know, we were the typical American family who wanted two kids and we were finished. That wasn't God's plan. And when I think about what God's plan was, that here you are, uh, um, God is achieving more through you than he has both of our other kids. And I don't think they'd mind me saying that. Not that they're not important, but he had a special place for you. And that's why he gave you to us. Um, it was, uh, as, as your mom said, you weren't planned, but you were never unwanted. And today you, were, you weren't planned. You caused your mom a lot of pain when you were born. I think it was the big head that came from your mom's side, I, I believe. <laughs> that, that must have been what the thing was. But anyway, uh, while, your, while I, the, us guys sat out there in the foyer and suffered along, your mom was in there having it easy, having you and getting things taken care of you. But I remember praying over you. Little did I know that my words would never fall on deaf ears. Um, God has a special place for you. And so the third part of this is how much you love him. And from the day that I looked at that little body of yours, let me correct that. I don't think your body was ever little. <laughs> I, I, think you, I think you came into this world half grown. You should have been a first grader when you were born, I think. But, um, it's supposed to be a blessing. See, it's my turn now. I'll never get to preach again. This will be the last time I'll ever get to do this. <clears throat> but from the day you were born, we loved you. We've grown to love you even more till the day you die. Until I die. I guess I'm going to go first. Um, Aaron, God will uh, has just begun to use you. I think that one of the things that almost makes me a little angry is your ability to recall stuff. I don't have the mind to recall stuff. I have to write everything down. I have to look at it as many times as we've done this. I still have to remind myself, and the older I get, the easier it is to forget it. You have an ability to recall stuff that almost makes me mad. I wish I'd have had that when I was preaching. I could have probably had some pretty good sermons back in those days. You also have an ability <clears throat> to speak to issues instantly. I used to have to pray over decisions and worry about them overnight and afraid I was gonna hurt people's feelings. You have the ability to call to the attention to what's going on and the ability to make good, golly decisions. And I'm glad for that. I'm glad that that your mom and I came down here with you. And I want you to know that if you were to go plant another church, we'd be willing to go. We'll follow you wherever you lead. Just make sure you lead me in the right place. Now I'm saying all of this so that when I get old and feeble, you're gonna take care of me. You know that, don't you? <laughs> I'm very proud of you, Aaron. I couldn't be prouder of a son. I love you more than life itself. Lord bless you.
So we're going to move towards the Lord's table. Those of you that are passing out communion, go ahead and go back there and grab it. If you're new with us, we have an open table. And what that means is anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake in communion. But we want you to hold the elements till the end. We'll take it all together. I want to draw some conclusions with this. Let's start with some simple ones. How young should your children be before you start speaking a blessing over them? Birth. They say that 12% of communication is verbal. That means 88% of it is nonverbal. Your kids may not understand a word you speak, but they understand what's going on between the two of you. Speak it. Speak it now. Speak it often. Now, for some of us, the issue is a little bit different. It's my kids are grown and gone. And I would love to have been able to speak a blessing, but they're all out and on their own now. Listen to me. It is never, ever too late to start speaking blessings on your kids. Ever. Call them. Write a letter. Plan around. It's the holidays. We spend time with family sometimes in the holidays. And sometimes we even like it. Plan it around. Like, we're not getting a Christmas present until you all get a blessing from me. Do that. Uh, if, there's a, if you have a blended family situation, parents, step-parents and stepchildren have this tough situation of like, where are the lines of how, where am I a parent, where am I not? And it's, all, it's really sticky and it's hard. Like, I get that. You as a step-parent choose to be a person of blessing in that child's life. Bless and bless and bless and bless and bless. Be a person that earns the right to be a person of influence in their life. Even when they're like, ah, oh, ah, oh, uh, can you tell I have, I've had teenagers? I have teenagers. Bless them anyway, because I guarantee you they hear it. Now, let's get into some of the things that are more complex. What if, because your parents are gone, you didn't get your parents' blessing, you're never gonna get your parents' blessing. Or what if your parents are still alive, but you know that they're, because of their own woundedness, their own brokenness, whatever, they're never gonna be able to speak a blessing into your life. What if that? First of all, there's nothing that you can do to change that truth. You don't have to resent it, it's just true. But secondly, Church, you are called to be a community of people who speak blessing into other people's lives. Why? Because there's a whole lot of people who desperately need it. And they're making decisions out of the curses put in their life because people withheld the blessing. And if they're ever going to be healed and free from that, it's not going to be because the right people stepped in and gave a blessing. It's going to be because the church community loved them enough to see past their mistakes. We're responsible for that. And if you're like, but I was, I need a blessing. I was one of the ones that didn't get it. When we choose to be a blessing in other people's lives, we both get changed. Just choose to be a blessing. 
Stop being negative, critical, cynical, jaded. Stop brightening the room by leaving it. Start being a blessing in the church community. What do we do at work? How do we be a blessing at work? Like every one of us knows we would love to be around somebody that completely supports and loves us and encourages us and keeps us going. We'd all love to be around that person. Why don't you be that person? Be that person for people. Encourage them. Be a blessing at work. You don't have to sit them down, put your hands on their face. No, I remember when we first started working together last week. It doesn't have to be the full-on formal thing. You can just, hey, put, put your hand on their shoulder. How are you doing? Do, like, just how are you doing? I just want you to know I, I enjoy working with you. That, that would be enough. And you do that day after day, they're going to be like, what are you doing? I don't know. I just want you to know that you matter in this world. Why? Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus. <laughs> you see how this works? Like, this gives us an opportunity to create a, an environment favorable for the gospel to take root in the hearts of people around us. Like, there's infinite ways that we can do this. Why do we do it? Like, if your marriage is on the rocks and you're like, she needs to do this or he needs to do that, start being a blessing. See what happens. It's not going to hurt your marriage, I promise you that. The blessing is an invitation to us to lay our lives down for the well-being of the people around us. It's really one of the reasons why we take communion every week. It's a model of what it means to live a life for the glory of God through the well-being of other people. It's powerful. And I would say that um, as we take communion today, maybe we need to start immediately saying, okay, Lord, who specifically am I going to give a blessing to this week? Maybe even today. Like you shouldn't walk out of here without a name, right? This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, we just want to say uh, thank you for the power of people's words. Lord, help us to steward that power well in a way that glorifies your name and sets people's hearts free. Thank you for the gift of Jesus as a living example of that in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.